Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Friday, January 5th. I'm Hannah Floor. Rates of anxiety, depression, and youth suicide are up nationwide, according to an advisory on youth mental health released by the U.S. Surgeon General. The same is true for Alaska. In Petersburg, the local medical center is training community members to help youth in crisis, and they're providing all the training free of charge. KFSK has the story. More than 20 people fill a conference room at Petersburg's Fire Hall on a Saturday in December. How would it be? They're here for an eight-hour training in youth mental health first aid. They're listing off signs and symptoms of kids in crisis in alphabetical order. G. Sign or symptom with a G. That's Katie Homeland. She's co-founder of Kinderskog, an after-school outdoor program for kids. And she's one of the facilitators of the training. She says she knows conversations with youth in crisis are hard. But she says talking about it can save lives. Hopefully, with this training, more adults will be willing to lean into those hard conversations because it's not going to be easy either way. But hopefully, at the end of the day, we still have that one young person. According to a recent report from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, one in five high school students say they seriously considered suicide in 2021. Alaska has the second highest rate of suicide deaths in the nation. And suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people in Alaska. It's hard to know what the numbers are in Petersburg because federal law protects the privacy of patients. That means that providers can't share information that could identify someone. So the state releases public health data by grouping rural areas or small towns together. Becky Turland is the community wellness specialist at Petersburg Medical Center, and she's another facilitator. She says we should take those national and statewide numbers seriously because... Petersburg is no different. People in the training are learning how to recognize the signs and symptoms that a kid is facing a mental health challenge. Those challenges include anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance use, and attention deficit disorder. They're learning how to respond to those signs and symptoms and how to connect kids to the resources that are available. But they won't be diagnosing anyone. That's left to the professionals. Turlin says it's a little like the difference between emergency responders and doctors. We arrive on the ambulance. We're not there to diagnose anything. We could say, ooh, that might look like it. Holman says sometimes the best response is just to listen. Listening non-judgmentally and giving reassurance, like those are daily skills. Other times, Holman says, the young person needs to be connected with professional help. Getting concrete help for a problem is an example of something called a protective factor. All kids face difficulties to one degree or another. But protective factors can make those difficulties manageable. Protective factors are like the really good things that we can be doing to support and balance out and create resilient and strong kids. Angie says that a sense of belonging is one of those important protective factors. She hopes that these trainings can help build that for Petersburg's young people by creating a wider network of adults that talk about difficulties with kids. This training is the first of four that the medical center plans to hold. They're made possible by a $10,000 grant from the Petersburg Community Foundation. That paid for Turland and Homeland to get certified as facilitators. It also pays for some of their time leading the trainings. Elementary school teacher Jolie Norman is taking the training. She says she learned that kids as young as her first graders can show signs of anxiety. 
it's pretty scary to know at that young they're already experiencing something like that when they don't even understand the emotions that they have. She says she'll be looking for signs of anxiety, like trouble focusing and irritability, with the kids in her class. Making sure I'm prioritizing social-emotional learning in my classroom and really giving my students the tools to self-regulate themselves before there's any type of crisis or know how to reach out to somebody for help. The next two trainings are just for employees in the school district. The district will pay their staff to attend using money from professional development grants. The Homeland and Turland will run another one for the wider community. Homeland encourages anyone who comes into contact with kids to sign up. The more adults within our community, the stronger that safety net is. So if I'm not able to reach out to a youth about a situation they're experiencing, maybe I can reach out to Becky and say, hey, could you check in on so-and-so? Or we'll have this like beautiful network of people that we can reach out to and make sure our kids are supported. The community-wide training is scheduled for mid-April. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. As things settle down after Wrangell's fatal landslide in November, the community is remembering the help that came in from outside. Colette Zarnicki spoke with community members about what that help looked like. Many communities in southeast Alaska came together after Wrangell's deadly landslide in November. Many Wrangell community members donated supplies. Petersburg also donated supplies such as clothes and food. Huna raised funds. Levi Mills lives in Huna and coaches wrestling. He says he always thinks of Southeast Alaska as one big family. My Clinket name is Sheens. Uh, I am of the Wishkitan clan. My English name is Levi Mills. I come from Huna. And I coach wrestling and I fish. At a pre-Thanksgiving wrestling tournament, the Huna team raised funds by singing the Gasuae or blankets on. We call it a gasua eh? It's a, you guys, um, you know, it, it sometimes it's called the, the blanket song. And it's, it's a song for your father's people. Because uh, in the Clinket culture, you follow your mother. And it's uh, one of the times we get to honor our father's clan. And they're basically calling out where are the son of, or the child, children of this clan. And we dance out to show respect. They raised about $715 at the gym that night. They also collected other donations from around their town. At the Southeast Division II Regional Championship, Huna's wrestling team presented the donation to Wrangell on December 2nd. During this time, Wrangell community members set up another fund to help victims and family members if they needed assistance. As donations rolled in, community members felt the magnitude of the loss in their small community. Darian Burley owns Magnolia Beauty Bar. Burley says one of the landslide victims, Beth Heller, was her first ever pedicure appointment back in 2018. The Hellers had continued to support her business. Burley says the donations were able to help members of the two families directly involved in the slide. She says it felt good to help. It's been helpful for her grief and healing. Lucy Robinson, who is the current Parks and Recreation Director, grew up in Wrangell. She helped gather donations with other community members. She says it was easy to organize in a close-knit town. I love it here. It's a great community, and I um, truly feel like this past uh, tragedy um, is a testament. You know, the, the pulling together and the support is a testament to what this community can do and the power it has to come together and support. She says she also created space in the community center for all the donations. 
She wanted it to be used for emergency evacuations and to create more of a true community center. After the landslide, they stored the donations there. People came together to eat, watch movies, and kids could play during the Thanksgiving holiday. It's a very casual connection um, and just a, kind of a, a space to take the load off of, you know, the heaviness of, of what's happening in Wrangell. She says she's impressed with the many people who stepped up to volunteer and come together. The fact that we have friends over in Petersburg that called us right away and within a day sent a boat of goods over. And uh, yeah, so and then and the, the community center came into play because it's just a, it's a large space. Um, and it's versatile. It's got a lot of uses. She says when the slide first happened, she wanted to power through and do something. After time had passed, she began dealing with the reality of the loss. She says it's important to lean on friends during difficult times. In Ringel, I'm Colette Zarnicki. After more than three decades, Ketchikan's popular Soho Coho t-shirt shop and gallery is closing its doors. Jack Darrell stopped at the gallery on Creek Street in its final days and has this story. Michelle Troll is sitting in the back room of Soho Coho, her retail store and art gallery in downtown Ketchikan. Metal shelves all around her are packed floor to ceiling with T-shirts. A steady stream of visitors filter in and out of the store to take advantage of closing sales or just offer words of encouragement, gratitude, and sorrow. Michelle Troll got to Ketchikan in 1984. Her future husband, Ray, had been in the city for about a year. And I guess our paths just crossed. So Ray asked her to lunch. Yeah, it was still late summer. The fish were spawning, so there was love in the air. <laughs> Literally. Michelle says in many ways, the building blocks that would become Soho Coho were already in place. He was always an artist, always working on his career as an artist. And I guess my education was visual communication, so it was just a, a good match. The Trolls opened their store in 1992 on the upper floor of the building it currently occupies, above the now defunct Five Star Cafe. You walk over the wooden footbridge spanning Ketchikan Creek, and there, next to a Chinese restaurant, is a light pink, two-story, wooden clapboard building on stilts above the salmon stream. The building boasts an even longer and richer history. It's called the Star. It was built in 1903 and was the largest brothel in Ketchikan. The metal star inlaid into the floor of Soho Coho used to mark the brothel's dance floor. Every year it was, at the end of the year, it was like, well, okay, we made enough money that we can do this again next year. Michelle says over the course of Soho Coho, they've displayed the work of many artists. They've also had over a hundred t-shirt designs that have been sold in shops across the country. The t-shirts bear Ray's artwork and are often related to salmon or the ecology of Alaska. Among many other places, they've been seen in the movie Superbad and being worn by the actor Daniel Radcliffe. While the cruise ship industry has been very good to them, the support of Ketchikan and Alaskans across the state have kept them in business. Our local customers who bring their families in and are here shopping through the holiday season, I mean, we couldn't have done this without all of them. Ray says he always wanted to have a gallery, but he doesn't take credit for the store's operation. The Soho Coho is Michelle's baby. It is her store. Michelle has the business head in the relationship. 
I do not have that. So really, Michelle has run the business all these years. Both trolls expressed gratitude for their employees, around 50 Ketchikan locals, including all of their children at various points. Since the store is closing at the end of December, their names are written on 50 paper stockings hanging over a cardboard fireplace in the store. Michelle mentored them all. She says that watching her employees grow in their post-retail careers has been a joy. She also watched her husband's career grow with the store. The Soho Coho has grown along with Ray's career because Ray's career has just blossomed and grown as he ages. (laughs) Closing the store also marks the end of another era. The Soho Coho is known for the bright neon sign hanging in the window and a large blue fish hanging above the door. Michelle says when the wooden fish is taken off the side of the building... It's going to be set on an easel and then ignited. Ray's always says everything's cooler with flames. It's true. He does say that. Because everything, ironically, looks cooler with flames. You know, you want to make it look cool? Put flames on it. But why, one might ask? You know, I just think for a sense of closure and kind of ceremony and a thing, sort of performance art thing, because I'm an artist. I used to do weird performance art stuff. A sense of closure is important to the trolls. Michelle says it may be a little more important for her husband, though. This is not easy for him to to walk away from. Though the daily operations fell on Michelle and her crew, she says it acted as her husband's public presence, a place synonymous with who they are. For Ray, the store was his stage. But he says sometimes it's important to know when to draw the curtain. And an old lesson in theater is leave them wanting, you know, before they want you off the stage. Just leave the stage. So that part of the stage, it's time to step off. Michelle says the storeroom she's currently standing in will still be the hub for their online store, which isn't going anywhere. And soon, a local artist will be taking over the space as a gallery. The old brothel on stilts above Ketchikan Creek will continue its tradition of showcasing local artists as it enters its next chapter. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. 37 mushers are signed up to compete in the 35th running of the Copper Basin 300 sled dog race. The roster includes defending and five-time race champion Nicholas Petit, 2022 Copper Basin 300 winner Brent Sass, as well as 2016 champ Matt Hall. Other top mushers registered include Dallas Seavey, Ryan Reddington, and Jesse Holmes. The 2024 Copper Basin 300 is scheduled to start Saturday, January 13th at 11 a.m. It will take mushers on a 300-mile loop with checkpoints at Tulsona Lake Resort, Lake Louise Lodge, Sourdough Campground, Myers Lake Roadhouse, and the Red Eagle Lodge at Chistchina for finishing back in Glen Allen. According to the Copper Basin 300 website, the amount of this year's race purse will be announced at a mushers meeting Friday, January 12th. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.